This is your podcast discussion host, Lauren Sung. And just as a quick but important reminder before we start, all opinions mentioned in the Keeping It Arcadia podcast are only of the individuals who state them and do not reflect the beliefs of Arcadia High School or the Arcadia Unified School District. Hello, Apaches, and thank you so much for tuning in to the 30th episode of Season 2 of the Keeping It Arcadia podcast, brought to you by the students in Arcadia High School's Digital Communications Internship, or DCI for short. My name is Jeffrey Lee, and I'm the host for today. This week, we confront a topic few politicians even seem to talk about or strive to work towards anymore, bipartisanship. This episode is building on a part of a segment the podcast team has been working on for roughly two months. So first, let's start off with Becky Chen and her interview of Young Democrats Officer Connor Hua about why it's difficult to achieve bipartisanship and what the Democrats can do to help achieve it. Hi, this is Becky Chen, and I'm here interviewing Connor Hua, an officer of Arcadia Young Democrats. So, Connor, what are the advantages to a bipartisan government? I think by looking at the state of the U.S. government right now, the American people can clearly see the detriments of a government that is unable to work together. For the bipartisan government, critical legislation passes, political polarization lowers, and the American people will be able to feel this unity from their legislators and reflect this in their daily lives. There exists these large rifts between the American people, largely fueled by the normalization of divisive rhetoric by the leaders of our nation. When our government is able to look past their differences and work together, our government can actually pass legislation and the American people will hopefully take cues from the government and heal divides in their communities. Okay, so why do you think bipartisanship is so difficult to achieve? Well, bipartisanship is inherently difficult to achieve due simply to the way our government is structured with a two-party system. Republican and Democratic stances on crucial issues to the American people are becoming increasingly distant, and legislators are often elected to deliver on the values they and their constituents hold. Because while bipartisanship may appear unflawed in that it helps our legislators progress in discussions, we also need to understand that legislators were elected because their constituents resonate with their values and expect for their legislators to fight for those values, not compromise them just to get a bipartisan bill to pass. It's learning to walk the fine line of progressing our government while making sure these bipartisan bills reflect the ideology of the electorate is where Congress usually fails. Okay, so final question. Are you hopeful that we will be able to achieve bipartisanship through the 116th Congress? Why or why not? Unfortunately, I think the 116th Congress elected in the 2018 midterms has one of the lowest possibilities for bipartisanship. Not only can Democrats and Republicans not get their own party to agree on issues, Democratic discontent with President Trump has risen within the House. That combined with the Democratic control of the House and Republican control of the Senate, it's easy to see that the government will often deadlock along partisan lines on critical issues to the American people, as can be seen through the 2018-2019 government shutdown. Okay, thank you, Connor. Of course, once you have the Democratic opinion when discussing bipartisanship, you also need the Republican opinion. So here's Lauren Sung's interview with Holden Nash, the president-elect of the Young Republicans Club, on how Republicans can help achieve bipartisanship as well, and some of the topics both sides of the political spectrum can come together to discuss. Thanks, Jeff. This is Lauren Sung, and today we are here with uh, the Arcadia Young Republicans president-elect Holden Nash, who will be a who will be a senior in the next school year, speaking on issues that we can find common ground on, especially since you're, you are the president-elect of the Arcadia Young Republicans Club, mm-hmm. how do you think Republicans can, or sorry, what issues can the Republican Party compromise or find bipartisan support on as of now? 
I think one that's becoming a lot more understandable on both sides and we're finding a lot more common ground on is sensible immigration reform, specifically in regards to how we accept immigrants into our country and how we rank them in terms of being a value to our nation. I thought that was a more like unity. Devi- I thought that was a more like divisive topic. It's a pretty divisive topic. We're beginning to find a lot more people on the left kind of backing off and coming to understand our perspective and we're kind of starting to take a more lenient approach to attract that kind of partisanship. And then another issue that I think can find a lot of ground on both sides is economic reform. You know, we all know that there is a lot of, you know, economic corruption wherever we might find it, whether that's in big corporations, whether it's in banking. Especially the tech industry. Tech industry, banking empires, you know, Wall Street. You know, we all know that there's a lot of corruption in those areas. How we deal with that is another story, but we can all come and sit down and agree that, yes, there are economic problems in our nation, specifically in regards to the distribution of power within that area, and that has to be dealt with. How we deal about it, we can talk about, but it's just finding common ground. I've noticed that the Republican Party has drifted further right in recent years due to probably the Tea Party faction, which has advocated for a more hardline stance on conservatism. Furthermore, as you know, uh, Trump's presence has sort of, you know, not not emboldened, but more like just sort of uh, sort of fed the fed that sort of flame. So do you think that, or does this pose as a threat to political unity in our country, specifically the Tea Party faction? Well, specifically in regards to the Tea Party faction, it isn't a large faction in the Republican Party. It has gained a lot more traction, but that's really due to the emboldenment of the religious right side, which is kind of snuck in with the Tea Party and follows some of their lines. The problem is we're see, we see blurring lines of political orientation, where we see some people agreeing with certain ideas that are popular with radical organizations, just because it feeds their radical ideologies. It might be a completely reasonable idea, but because it's been lumped in with people who are you know, rather distasteful politically, then it becomes skewed, and no one can see it as being a separate issue. It's just an issue synonymous with them. It's guilt by association. And in terms of the Tea Party, I mean, that's talking about dividing the Republican Party, not just dividing the nation. You know, And it forces people, sadly, and this is happening on both sides, like I was saying about radicalization, it's forcing people to take either a more hardline stance and step away from unity and bipartisanship. And so when people like the Tea Party come up and they force these more staunch conservative policies, and then you see even more extremist liberal policies coming up on the left, you know, socialism, you see all these, you know, um, firearm bans, it just it pulls everyone apart. They're, like, they're destroying that moderate, that moderate area that's exactly. enabled by partisanship. Because they're trying to force people to take sides, to take a radical side instead of taking a reasonable stance. So I think the Tea Party isn't a very um, large group within the Republican Party. They are a faction. They do have some power. They have influence. But I don't think that they have it to the degree that they're going to influence overall Republican policy. But I think organizations like that are definitely a reason why bipartisanship is becoming such a problem in America. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Is there a way to control this faction if they even need controlling? I mean, I think it's just let them speak. Let them speak. Let the the craziness of their ideas on, on both sides speak out and let us talk about and debunk how absurd their ideas are, and then we can begin to just say, okay, yeah, these people are crazy, because when you silence people outright, what are you trying to silence? It always sets the precedent in people's minds that, okay, this is something that's clearly, you know, really revolutionary, it's reactionary, we need, and why is it being stifled? And so it just drives more people to support them because they see them being silenced. You know, 
when we have individuals like this speak, organizations like this rise up, they need to be allowed to just burn out. Trying to control it just fuels the flame more. We need to allow them to just express their ideas, get it out, and we can talk about them, we can debunk them, and we can move on as a nation. And finally, to wrap this up, are you hopeful that we will be able to achieve bipartisanship within the 116th Congress, I believe, or whatever the current Congress is right now? Um, no, I don't. Not right now. How come? Certainly not, because we're just seeing such... We're seeing the issues that we're talking about being driven more and more. We just saw a huge censorship ban online regarding conservative speakers, conservative activists. <clears throat> we're seeing it on college campuses, and we're seeing left-wing organizations rise up and control more of the organizations and the institutions that are already established in education, in media, alt-right forums, people who are using <clears throat> um, internet freedom to abuse that power and spread messages of hate. You know, and it's not going to be an easy an easy thing to achieve. It's certainly not going to happen now simply because of the fact that we're seeing such radicalization in the nation. We need to see everything diffused. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak on our podcast. Now, we have a discussion between four students in the podcast team on a topic that seems to elude most of politics today. Often on both sides of the political spectrum, we get so caught up with trying to pass our party's policies that we begin to believe that any policies passed by the opposing political party is a losing situation to ourselves. It's time to bring back something that helped mold America in the first place, the use of bipartisanship. Bipartisanship, an agreement or cooperation between two political parties that usually oppose each other's policies. Some of the most important pieces of American legislation were bipartisan efforts, such as the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which outlawed discrimination based on birthplace, skin color, race, religion, or gender. Yet it sometimes feels difficult to understand why bipartisanship is important, and it doesn't take much more than turning on the morning news to wonder how we will ever achieve what seems like an impossible goal. During Obama's presidency, the Republicans in the House of Representatives planned to reject every single amendment or compromise he offered. On the other hand, President Trump's proposal of a half-baked wall in exchange for temporary protection for dreamers of DACA was shot down by Democrats even before it was ever officially proposed. So in this segment, we'll discuss our own personal opinions on why bipartisanship is so difficult to achieve and inform you, the public, on what ways attaining bipartisanship can be possible. Bipartisanship doesn't mean that one's principles is being destroyed. In most cases, one side winning all the battles is unattainable, which is why we need compromise. However, we still see people on both sides of the political spectrum seeming to disagree with each other for a wide variety of reasons, from maintaining the party line to sticking it to the other party. Yeah, especially when it comes to immigration, you know, there are many parts of the story, stories of people living on the border, migrants, disconnected from what's going on at the border, and maybe if everyone from all points of view could sit down and maybe talk, I think that would be pretty good. But we have to understand that bipartisanship doesn't mean that one's principles is being destroyed. It simply just means that you're finding a compromise for a solution. And some other people might say, oh, Republicans are doing this. And maybe by accident, they use a grab bag term. There's a sort of an underlying implication that it sort of affects everyone everyone in that sort of group so everyone gets angry and they attack back with the same grad bag names and stereotypes and it just keeps going down and down and down the hill 
Let's talk about why bipartisanship is so important. Well, I would say that bipartisanship doesn't just influence what goes on in Congress or what pieces of legislation are happening um, in Washington. It also affects aspects of everyday society because we're so intertwined in social media and political news. When our um, political representatives start to move towards the fringe of the political spectrum, we also feel that effect, and it affects how we treat each other. And I think that bipartisanship is necessary because if we don't learn to work together with people of um, different backgrounds or beliefs, then we won't be able to work together in everyday life as well. A different solution that I was thinking of was to implement proportional elections. Because currently most of our states, with I believe the exception of Maine and Nebraska, are winner-take-all systems, meaning that third-party candidates don't really get a chance to make legislation in Congress. Because Republican and Democrat representatives are bound to their constituents, they kind of have to play to the audiences and be more on the extremes of the spectrum, and they aren't able to publicly come together without fear of losing their base. But if we were to elect more third-party candidates or a moderate, then we could possibly have them lead the charge for compromise in Congress. Wow, that was a really fluent and eloquent statement, Sarah. Thank you for that. Well, while achieving bipartisanship in the seemingly fractured government we have today is a difficult task, but if we are able to achieve it, the potential for a better America is endless. And to be honest, it really warms the heart. There's still some hope in humanity, and, you know, we're not going to be divided up and tribalistic. And last but not least, for a more overarching, objective view, we have Christina Yao's interview with GovTeam member Francesca Yao on what changes can be made to the government to encourage bipartisanship. Now, here we have an interview with GovTeam member Francesca Yao. Francesca, what are some examples of bipartisanship today? So, to start things off, most states use their own state legislators to draw district lines. However, this leads to gerrymandering, which is uh, political bias towards a certain party when drawing district lines. However, California, in some states like California, they use bipartisan committees that um, draws district lines. So this, in fact, strays away from favoring any p certain political party, which d is definitely an example of bipartisanship. Another example, I think, would be through certain uh, media outlets. For example, National Constitution Center has a series of podcasts which are directed towards uh, encouraging civic and improving civic education. However, uh, they do it in a nonpartisan manner. What are some solutions to partisanship? I think one solution in the gerrymandering aspect would be, uh, in addition to, of course, California's bipartisan committee, we can see through uh, University of Pennsylvania's research that uh, computer algorithms can actually draw district lines. So I think that that would be working towards bipartisanship today. Um, another another uh, solution to, bi to partisanship can be that um, just getting Congress members to spend more time with each other because uh, usually they spend most of their time traveling to and from their home state and to, con to meet with other Congress members. However, this isn't really enough time for them to spend together and really get to know each other so that they can have uh, more effective conversations that aren't just geared towards um, attacking each other and like um, only uh, 
only protecting their own interests because I think that working towards the common good and um, protecting everyone's interests should be um, a solution towards uh, avoiding partisanship. Okay, thank you for your time, Francesca. And that will conclude this episode. This has been Jeffrey with Arcadia High School's DCI, and the podcast team hopes that you've enjoyed our 30th episode. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe for more weekly content. Please visit the list of all our episodes on our new AUSD DCI page. The link is dciausd.weebly.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. This is Keeping It Arcadia, signing off.